What's up? I'm Justin and welcome to the Talking Pixels podcast, helping you take your photography from a hobby to a career. I'm super excited to welcome today's guest, Zabrina Dang of Jezza Photography. Zabrina is a California-based photographer who has traveled the world photographing weddings, engagements, and portraits and is considered one of the top 50 destination wedding photographers. On top of that, she's also a Sony artisan of imagery as well as a WPPI master photographer. And with a resume like that, I cannot wait to jump into today's episode and find out more about her business. So thank you very much for joining me today, Sabrina. How's it going? Hey, what's up, Justin? So nice <laughs> to be here. I'm super excited. And uh, I just want to say hello from San Francisco Bay Area. We just hit the spring weather here. Yeah. And it's like really nice. And I'm super excited to um, share this uh, moment with you. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for joining me and taking time out of your schedule. Um, I'm super jealous of your spring uh, weather in the <laughs> Bay Area versus my spring weather here in Ohio. We haven't quite hit our rainy season yet, but that's next on the list before we get to our warm season. <laughs> so I'm super jealous of your uh, weather out there in California. Um but I know that uh, you and I have, a, you know, we've been talking a little bit uh, in leading up to this episode and uh, trying to give you some more information about what we really do here on the Talking Pixels podcast, what our purpose is. Um, and for listeners who may just be tuning into this episode for the first time, the goal of this podcast is to help photographers take their photography from hobby to a career. Um, and as I previously mentioned, you created quite a photography career for yourself, um, and I cannot wait to find out more about it. So do you mind if we jump right into some questions here? Yes, sure. All right, cool. All right, so I, I want to say, first of all, um, I, I came across your page, and I, I think it was actually watching a, a class or something online and that you were, uh, or maybe it was more of like a uh networking kind of thing online but uh, oh. you were in you were in the in it um and so I'll, you started talking at one point and i was like oh i have to go check out her images and i went to your instagram page and i was like oh my gosh these photos you're creating not only are you in these amazing locations but you're creating these beautiful images with couples um so i wouldn't be surprised if people look at your work and think wow I don't know that I could ever create something as beautiful as this, but like everyone else, you had to start somewhere, right? So how did your interest in photography and specifically wedding photography begin? And what was it like starting out in the wedding photography industry for you? Yeah, so um, so first of all, we all started somewhere and uh, in the very beginning of my photography journey and um, I started taking like classes at a community college. All the pictures I took, it was just like flowers, pets, like things I found in the farmer's market, um, some landscape photos. It's just all kinds of random everyday life uh, things and moments. And then uh, until my friends started to get married and then I take pictures for them just for like a practice run for my uh, class assignment. And I think um, I, but I, I've always have an interest in it, like looking at like fashion magazines and uh, fashion blogs and like um, anything like related to like clothes uh, designer and that kind of like the de uh, design genre on um, tv i would just look them up and because that's always been my interest like um like clothes and fashion 
And I think the turning point um, of like, kind of like switching from my hobby to become like taking that hobby to be more serious hobby is that at the moment that I found Scott Robert Lim's blog. Yeah, so Scott Robert, he's my mentor. And then, um, but before we become like a mentor and mentee relationship, and he was like uh, like a longtime writer on something called called a Zanga blog. I don't know if you mm-hmm. know what it is. Yeah. It's like pre-MySpace, yeah. So it's like, you know, um, but... I was on Zanga quite a bit and during my like, 9 to 5 work like lunch hour or break time I would just like read on Zanga what what's happening and then Scott was one of the like most popular writer on Zanga and then he had like a and he always like blog about photography, like he's like, you know, like his trips to Paris or to his trips to Asia, Korea, where everywhere that he has been. And but there's this one time he was um, asking for someone to help him find models, also like a translator for like he's putting together a workshop in China. Okay. So I jump in that chance to, um, you know, I wrote to Scott, like, Scott, 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 Scott. Um, <laughs> I'm your longtime uh, Zanga fans and uh, I have connections um, and I can help you maybe talk to my dad's friends and they will, they will have like models uh, for your workshop and then I can read and write in Chinese too so I can help you to translate. Would you, can you use a translator for your workshop and maybe I come along to help you and just with your workshop and he said, oh, oh yeah, yeah, come, come. And then um, basically that's like, you know, that's, that's, um, my very first professional photography training mm-hmm. uh, is uh, it, it, it was attending Scott's workshop in China and being his translator. Yeah, so that was like a huge turning point because before then I was only you know taking picture of random things and like maybe some portrait like like random portrait of my friends. I have never shot a model or like someone like being very put together, like very stylized, like a fashion. Right. Uh, style uh, portraits and then being at Scott's workshop uh, we were able to get a lot of professional models for his workshop and then like these models were highly stylized with like like different designer or clothes and Scott also brought some of the wardrobe himself too for the workshop so and it was my very first time and seeing this whole process and how that I put together like the model involved with hair and makeup and then like changing clothes uh, throughout the shoot. And then I was also involved, like, you know, taking, I got a little bit of a a chance to take pictures, but mostly just doing like other things like, you know, holding lights or like translating. But I got Mm -hmm. a taste of what it would be like to be a fashion photographer, Mm -hmm. um, pretending to be a fashion photographer, I guess, you know, and- uh, Learning, learning. Learning, yes, yeah, learning (laughs) to be one, exactly. And, uh, but I was like, so like freaking out because like, it's my first time actually like holding a somewhat decent camera too i was shooting with a nikon d40 it's mm-hmm. like a like a rebel you know yeah, yeah like a yeah. very entry, entry level. level exactly with the kit lens mm-hmm. but i think at the workshop i started using maybe just one step a little bit better uh, with the prime lens and mm-hmm. then so um and then the image quality was like so much better from like back then using a kit lens and a entry level dslr sure. Uh, so from the workshop and I was totally like, you know, hooked with this idea. Maybe one day I could be like Scott that travel around the world and take pictures for these like really like highly fashionable models. Um, uh, 
yeah, so I think that really planted an idea in my head. And after that workshop, um, it was like, I think 12 years ago mm-hmm. or wow. 11 years. Yeah, it was, it was a long time. Mm-hmm. And then um, and after I got back to my 9 to 5 everyday job, I um I work as a um uh, po- system programmer for a consulting company. I just I just couldn't stop thinking about you know maybe this is my like my new destiny. Maybe this is my new life that I can do something different other than demanding like everyday nine to five number crunching kind of work. Yeah. yeah. So it that was really like the turning point for my career and um uh. I didn't have like, you know, a lot of photographers, they, they probably have a lot of things like planned out, which is really great for them. And I, I you know, I, I feel like if, you know, if I can go back in time, I wish I have a little bit more uh, time to plan things out, say mm-hmm. like save up a bit more to invest it in like more gears and perhaps to like establish like a, uh, like financially, maybe more established before I really jump into the bandwagon. But also maybe it was because of being so stupid that, you know, not having too much plan, I went all in. Like it's like mm-hmm. a show hand for like, you know, gambling. It's like all in or nothing. So being all in, I just gave up my, you know, I just like, you know, okay, turn in two weeks notice and then, okay, that's it. I'm just doing this full time. Um, I just couldn't stand just being at that job, you know, with the mandating. It's like very robotic. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just have to like, you know, make this thing work. Otherwise, you know, I couldn't give up my job for nothing. So that's kind of like a mentality. Um, Definitely. Going, yeah. Like, you know, going in this thing full time. Um, it's yeah. a big jump to make. I mean, I, I I took that jump back last August into going full time with my oh photography. My um, yeah. And it, it was such, you know, it's a stressful decision to make. Um, but it, it's very interesting to hear your kind of, you know, uh, now were you living in China at the time when Scott did his workshop there or did oh, you travel with him to China yes, for that? Yeah, so I was already living in the state. So I moved to the state when I was a teenager. So I I know about Scott's blog when I was uh, like I think 7 or 8 years into like working full time. Yeah, okay. in in the state. So I so I so sorry, track back to a little bit of my background. I was born mm-hmm. and raised in China, but okay. I moved to the state when I was like a teenager. So I went to high school, college and then I started working in um for a consulting company uh uh for like a, for about 8 years um and then um become a full-time photographer. Right. Like so I've been a full-time photographer for 12 years by now. Yeah, 12, okay. yeah. Yeah, I mean that's that's a huge step to. I mean, so uh, I also have uh, shared Scott as a, a mentor myself. I started working with him last year, and um, he's he was also instrumental in helping me get to that next level of being able to go full time too. I did not get to do one of his um, uh, like workshops where they travel. I mean, he does them all over the place, like Cuba, right. China, right. Paris. Right, I mean, right. he goes all over the place, and I've not got to do one of those yet. Although those seem incredible and what an experience it must be to go out to these locations and photograph in them with you know stylized outfits and models and it, it just all comes together and no wonder people end up with these amazing portfolio images out of it um but that's definitely a huge step to take especially as somebody who's just kind of experimenting with photography at that time while you know obviously wanting to learn more and you're following scott's blog and mm-hmm. reading you know about the industry 
But I have to imagine that hands-on and personal experience with having a mentor like Scott, you know, in that situation is almost invaluable, right? You're you're coming into a place where you're working with a professional who is traveling across the globe doing photography and photographing these incredible weddings, um, and you're getting to work one-on-one with him. Well, essentially one-on-one. I know those are small right, groups, but right. you know, there's a lot of one-on-one time. I'd assume, um, and learning directly from him. So, you know, how how did you feel coming out of that? What was your, you know, I, I, we have, a, it's recurring on this podcast where we talk to people and mentorship comes up. Um, and up until I started a mentorship program with Scott, I did not even realize how important mentorship is in photography, but almost every successful photographer that we've talked to, uh, explains how important mentorship was to them. Um, so, when you left that workshop from Scott, what was your next thought? I mean, what were you thinking? How were you going to, I know you said you didn't have a, like a real game plan going into it, but obviously you've made it work really well for yourself to be considered one of the top, uh, or destination wedding photographers and went, you know, winning tons of awards for your work. So, and well, and becoming a Sodini artisan as well. So how did, you know, what was your next step after you came out of that workshop and deciding, okay, now I'm going to go full-time into this. Was it just straight into weddings then? Um, uh, actually that's a great question. Now that I thought about it, it, it's not like, okay, after like coming back from Scott's workshop, I went like straight to full-time. It's not that I think I, it, it took about like, uh, eight months to a year for the transition. But I think right after we came back from Scott's workshop, because we left around the same time from China and back to the States. And then I wrote him an email. I'm like, Scott, whenever you have a shoot in the Bay Area, can I assist your shoot as much as I could? I want to mm-hmm. be your free labor or like, you know, whatever you need me to do. I just want to spend time to learn from you. And, um, and I, you know, I, uh, because I, you know, I already spent a lot to go to China, and I didn't want to spend some more because of me being so Asian and try to like figure out math. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, and then so I'm like, yeah, is there a way that maybe I just you know help you to plan your next workshop so I can pick your brains on your like you know non-working mm-hmm. moments? So I just you know one of those things is just like make my it's like a very intentional to make myself available for to help him out and Mm -hmm. as much as you know and then i can get like you know pick like his knowledge and pick his brain and then so i think the next couple years um i also helped scott to like organize some of his local workshops in the bay area and some some in la and while doing that i've learned a lot actually so just you know even by organizing and i get to shoot a little bit during the workshop setting and then just to see how like you know his creative process work and what his like you know like what is going through in his mind and i i got to listen to his like off camera flash lecture like over maybe like a hundred times already (laughs) so that that really like sets a great foundation for my skill set and like assisting you know holding the light for him and um yeah also like planning like the Mm -hmm. workshop that gives me really good like um like when i try to figure out logistics for my own shoot i i know exactly what to do so i think you know just the assisting and then also like you know being with my mentor and just like talk like conversation just endless conversation about everything just not just photography sometimes we just talk about like life you know like just you know it's 
some really deep stuff. It's just yeah, and uh, movies too. Like it's just really really fascinating, you know, just to be like part of his group and his community. And and I feel like that's my kind of like my my second family, you know, mm-hmm. away from home. Um, I I I highly encourage like you know you kind of have to like figure out a way to um, like for all the new photographers want to you know be better at this and kind of like figure out a community where you can be part of and then um, find a mentor where you know intentionally that you can just offer some of your skill to exchange knowledge yeah mm-hmm. so I think that's the best way yeah absolutely I mean I, and I I have to attest to that too that it, it's been like it's been hugely beneficial to me to learn and I think the biggest part is that you're learning um you're almost bypassing a lot of the mistakes that you will make as a, uh, you know, beginning into photography or as a somewhat novice when you're working with a, somebody who's been doing this for years because they've already kind of ironed out all that um, and give you, you know, I, I don't want to say necessarily give you a game plan for it, but it helps you get a better understanding of what you need to do and how to get to that next step quicker because you're watching them do it on a, a consistent basis. And, um, you know, and I think, you know, a lot of my experience that I had when I, I, I studied, uh, photography at a university. Um, and I, I learned enough there. I felt like, but it, um, I learned way more when I started working in studios and with photographers who've been doing it for years. My initial job I took out of college was working in a portrait studio with, um, two, uh, master photographers from PPA, Um, and I learned so much just from working there for a couple years on the business side and how, you know, light, I mean, compared to my classes at school on a daily basis, we're taking portraits and doing wed or well, on weddings on weekends and, um, doing, uh, like sports teams and stuff like that. I'm learning so much more about lighting from it because I'm seeing it on a regular basis and seeing what works and what doesn't work. And so I think, that what a lot of people and especially younger people now, um, well, and you know, I guess older people as well who are still wanting to do photography, um, you, you gain a, a lot of people are gaining information from sources like YouTube or, um, you know, some classes and workshops online, I guess, to like master classes and stuff. But I really think that I have gained the most out of, like you said, being a part of those shoots and, you know, giving my time, whether it was paid or unpaid to learn from those people, um, or in some cases, you know, even paying for mentorship, um, because it's almost invaluable what you get out of it. If you can take what you learn from those and then be able to turn that into your own business where now you're self-sufficient, you're, um, you know, you're self-employed or maybe you're employing other people at that point, that, that value is coming back to you in, huge numbers right like you you spend a little bit to gain a lot and it's almost invaluable it's just this very hard step to get into so you know what do you think would be you know let's say because obviously like going to a workshop in china that just sounds insanely expensive right (laughs) (laughs) um so let's break it down even maybe more to a local level as opposed right. to going out and traveling internationally to do that. If somebody's like, hey, I, you know, I just got out of, let's say, high school. They just graduated high school, but they want to go into photography. They have next to no money. You you said you think the best way would be to volunteer your time. Right. Um, so as a professional who does education and mentorship for others now, 
how is the best way to approach someone like you as a novice and a beginner to try to get in the door and kind of learn from somebody who has that experience? Yeah, really well said, Justin. Um, you know, one can only learn so much from like just watching on the screen. It's like, you know, it's like traveling. You travel from your living room, like just watch Rick Steve, you know, on, mm -hmm. uh, I'm kind of old school, sorry. <laughs> watch all these like travel blogger on YouTube. Sure. It's not the same as you were in that destination. So I would, you know, well, with COVID, you know, it stops, you know, all the yeah, national travel. But I think in at the local level, there's a lot of, um, you know, if there are like, you know, in-person sort of seminar or like, you know, gathering starting to pop up, then maybe you can like for new photographers or um, uh young kids graduate from high school or college, they can start going to those seminars and like, and talk to the speaker at the end of the, at the end of the function. In fact, I, I think that's a lot of how we make a lot of connections with the, uh, sometimes like, you know, we get assistance just from like, like from my students talking to us mm -hmm. at the end of a, a seminar. And um, that's, you know, in that way, you can still make meaningful connection. Um, and it shows that you're serious and you care and you want to offer yourself to help. And once you participate some of these shoots and see how, how things work it will change the way you know how you know, entirely how you you know your thought process planning uh, or and your own shoot while you're shooting as well so i would just suggest to go to like local meetings you know mm -hmm. and if they have some sort of gathering or even like a, a show or gallery show if you know some of the photographers are showing their work and just you know pitch you know, yourself as, you know, assistant or help right. um, to, uh, to learn. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and that's actually how I met Scott. He was actually, oh. yeah, he was actually uh, teaching at a, uh, so our sponsor for the podcast is the pixel connection, their camera store here um, right. oh, in uh, Cleveland. And they put on a, they started doing a festival or a festival, a conference called pixel photo fest. Um, and Scott was actually teaching at it. And I went to go see his, uh, uh, his class that he was doing there on wedding photography. And at the right. time I was considering adding weddings in, but I wasn't like mainly I was focused on doing modeling and portrait work. And, but I wanted to kind of start getting into weddings a little bit because there's good money that comes associated with photographing a wedding. Um, so I was interested to see what he had to say. And I like instantly, you know, sitting in the crowd, I could tell that like, I would have had a connection with this guy had I just ran into him on the street, like, uh, based off of his personality, his style of shooting. Right. And, everything. and so I was like, I have to go talk to him after this, um, and at least give him a business card or get his mm -hmm. card, find out more about his workshops, because I really felt like this is somebody who, you know, he's primarily educating for his living now, um, as mm -hmm. opposed to all the weddings that he's done in the past, but he brings right. a wealth of knowledge with him. So I really wanted to pick his brain a little bit more, which is how we, I got into the mentorship program with him. But I think that's, you know, like you said, I, going out to small networking events or, um, you know, a gallery show is a great idea as well. Um, but I, I think another key to that is a lot of, and I've had this happen with me personally, or, you know, I've run into people and seen it happen where people want, you know, they, they'll come up to you at a, a you know, let's say a, a networking event and say, oh my gosh, I love your work. Would love to shadow you sometime or assist you or something. 
but then they know, you know, then you don't follow up with it. Right. So you just right, right, you right. throw yeah. that out and then you leave it on the other person to reach out to you. Um, and, or you're expecting them to pay you to come and do this. And if it's somebody who's established, you know, they may not even have the time to re you know, consider that or get back to you, or they get asked that so frequently that they may not take it seriously. So I think a key part of it is then to engage with that person again, you know, on social media, follow up via email and express that you are really interested in doing that and continue to foster a relationship with that person, because that's ultimately going to help you get involved in, I, I think, build more in, oh, maybe not build, build is probably not the right word, but at least get in contact with that person and just start facilitating that relationship so that you can get involved when they're going on shoots and learn from them. And if you can make that work out where either one, you're getting free education and right. free expertise or two, they're paying you to come and help that. I mean, that's the best you could hope for out of it. If you're getting paid to learn and that I don't know what's better than that. There's not many scenarios where you're ever going to get that. So if, yeah. if you can find that, that's huge. But I think it really comes down to connecting with that person at a deeper level as right. opposed to just coming up to them at a conference where maybe, you know, 50 other people came up to them exactly. and said the same thing. Yes. Yeah. That's the right point. Because we do get like a bowl, a fish bowl worth of business card at the end of a seminar. Right. So it's just kind of hard to like keep track, even like people who came up and take picture or whatnot, or mm -hmm. like, you know, ask if they can be, uh, you know, help to shadow or assist your shoot. They have, they really have to follow up or maybe even better, like show up to, to the next event. You know, that's yeah. how we recognize their faces. And that's, that's how we recognize their name. And we know that they're serious about helping me and I can help them as well. Yeah. yeah. So it's like a, it's definitely a two way street. It's not just one way that, definitely. you know, that us as a photographer, we're sourcing free labor. It's not just that. And it's not that the student, you know, that, that, that they're just getting free workshop out of it. It's not, mm -hmm. it's definitely a both, you know, a, an exchange of information. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and, and so I actually wanted to get in since we're kind of on the topic of these conferences and workshops and seminars and stuff. Um, and you're a WPPI master photographer, and you've won tons of awards internationally for your work, which is so incredible. I mean, it, I think I saw it was like something over 60 plus international awards for your work, which is just insane. But what do you what do you think it actually takes to become an award winning photographer? And whether that's just locally, regionally, nationally, internationally, I know that there's different levels to that but where where would one start you know what is a what is something worth focusing on so that if you wanted to be known for your work or have at least acknowledgement that your work is of the highest quality where do you begin with that whether it's from just submissions or creating a piece that is worthy of being entered into a contest with the potential to win right so um back to in uh, in the beginning of my photography journey, sorry, I have to track back because it's like, it's like a while ago. <laughs> and um, uh, me living in the Bay Area in the Silicon Valley, like every single photo, um, I should say, every single engineer, like computer science engineer friends that I know, they happen to be a photographer on the weekend. Mm -hmm. So they are somewhat shooting wedding suit. I mean, like I can compete with like you know 
at that time, they all already like using like 5D Mark III, sure. like, like Nikon you know, D900, the best of the best in mm-hmm. the market gears, like honky big camera that they yeah. show up in events. And I, I've seen like wedding guests who show up like that. I mean, I, I personally cannot compete on that kind of gear level. Mm-hmm. So, and also trying to figure out my place. How do I make this wedding photography game work for myself, right? And then I think uh, I I saw on Scott's blog that he uh, entered uh, WPBI print competition. And then that's how he started to, since then, since he won, like, uh, I think the Coda Awards, and then his picture was published at the back of, uh, I, I think, Range uh, Finder magazine. Range Finder. And then Range Finder, yeah. Mm-hmm. So he started marketing himself as a, a international award-winning photographer. And then I'm like, oh, that's a brilliant idea. Maybe I can do that too. And um, of course, in the beginning, you know, we all like, you know, starting out our work is not very polished. And then it's, you know, it just takes some time um, to be very polished level. And and we're like kind of like shy for, oh, am I good enough? Am I good you know to to submit or even submit for a competition and then i kind of start like um so my my job previously i before i become a system programmer i was an analyst so i i developed the skill to analyze things before i really like you know dive into working on it so i start to analyze like the past winners of wppi and then see like and then look at their uh, work and also look at their like submitted like print competition work so there's like a deviation between their normal work versus print like submitted work on the print competition right um so i kind of like realized that oh you know what they actually you know the their everyday like their wedding work their portrait work is very different than their competition work so maybe i just have to like kind of switch to a have a mindset just to study what the print competition is about you know what they're looking for like the style of the photography mm-hmm. and uh, maybe like what the past winner style it's going to be like and then in that way so i can you know shoot for the intention of okay these set of pictures i'm gonna like try my best to shoot for maybe competition kind of style yeah mm-hmm. like for for a particular competition right. so you kind of have to like figure out a way figure out like which competition that you want to submit and then look at the style and then submit for it. Yeah. Of yeah. course. Yeah. That, no, that's okay. That makes sense. I've actually never, I, I, I have never considered that, um, that, you know, there may be a specific style or a specific type of image that's going to perform better in a, uh, a con or I don't a competition. I wanted to say contest. That's not the right word in a competition. Um, so when you, when you're creating for that now, are you, thinking this as you're photographing client work or are you creating uh you know award-winning images based off of uh uh like you're fully in control so when it comes down to the stylization of the shoot the location of the shoot are you you are you kind of customizing it or are you actually using client work when you're going into these competitions i would say like 80 percent 70 percent it's 70 to 80 percent non-client work and then maybe the 30 percent it's client work because Mm -hmm. like client work you there's a little control because you know there's like a schedule you have to follow and then sometimes you know for especially wedding day there's like 
ten or fifteen minutes you have that your private time with you and right. the, the bride and groom. So that's like not really not enough time to produce something amazing,、mm-hmm. you know, with like proper lighting. If unless you get like blessed by God from、right. like <laughs> having amazing angel lighting, which is almost never happen or one in a million chance,、mm-hmm. right? So I would say like you know you that's your. That, Really, you have to have the intention to okay. I want to set aside time this week to plan a shoot that I can maybe have something to submit for the portrait category, or、right. maybe for the model category, or maybe for like the composite, you know, composite category. So it's like a, it's like an intention, you know, and then、um, and plus, you know, when it's all control and the, like the style, the the fashion stylist, the makeup,、uh, the makeup and hair stylist, and then. Everything is well planned, and you kind of know like what the outlook will be like. You、mm-hmm. know, you kind of know, and then you from those stylized shoots, and you choose、uh, the best picture, and then、right. like, and then have it properly retouched and submit for the competition. Yeah, so it's just like a, yeah, it's it. So definitely, you you need to figure out like which competition that it's going to help you to pave your career path. At that time,、uh, when I was starting out in early,、um, say like two, uh, uh, twenty eleven, twenty twelve, the competition,、uh, WPPR. It's like you know, if you like to be a WPPR award winning、uh, photographer, it was the like kind of like a Google work for.、Um, For a lot of my clients, for、mm-hmm. like you know, Asian, especially Asian wedding clients, so they're like they'll be like, okay, okay, she's a, a WPPR award-winning photographer. I want her. I and they know that it's like somewhat kind of like guarantee the quality, you right? Know? Yeah. So、um, I think you just have to figure out. You know which competition is going to work for you to for marketing or for business sake、uh, sure. or for promote you know promoting yourself、uh, get your name out there yeah sure so we've I mean we've talked a lot about the WPPI、um, you know just I guess WPPI in general but、um, what do you are you aware of other competitions that are you know potentially good to enter、um, and、yeah. maybe even just from a feedback perspective of not maybe not necessarily winning and for the accolade、oh, yeah, but yeah, to yeah. just learn from yeah、uh, I, th- I think、um, I think the J- June Buck wedding、uh, they、okay. run month、uh, they they used to run monthly contests or maybe not it's like a quarterly contest but then like、um, they have something called like the best like top Ten、uh, wedding photographer、mm-hmm. or top ten destination wedding photographer,、um, and then top fifty, like so far, yeah. So those、right. are really good、uh, contests to enter, and because the investment is like relatively low, I think it was like it was like ten dollars per entry. Okay.、Um, and then also like at the local level,、um, now that I thought about it, actually the local level is also a good thing to、uh, enter competition with PPA because、mm-hmm. like you get. Ca- Uh, I think you get cash prize from、um, from those local contests too. So why not you get money out of it, right? Right. And then plus you can use those like ribbon or something to, you know, display in your studio. You know, kind of like 
Queen's Gambit, you know, yeah. right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So like that's how she make her name out. So I think that's not a bad thing to you know to do Definitely. that to, to follow Queen's Gambit her own <laughs> you know path, right? Yeah. If she did it, like you know, we can do it too. But it's just one of those things to like you know to use this as a tool to market yourself. Is that like you know is that the only tool? It's definitely not the only tool, but it's one of the tools. You know, right. yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it definitely helps. I'm sure the large, you know, eventually starting. I don't think starting small at all is a bad idea. And even if it's just, a, you know, local in your own city photography uh, contests that right. potentially could lead to more local clients for you, and then working your way up to those larger. Well, or taking just going for it. Who knows? Maybe you will win at a, a, a an award at a larger conference. But you know, it definitely doesn't hurt to start small and work your way up to those, and then that way you kind of learn the process of it. And that actually kind of makes me, you know, because I've entered a couple contests in the past. I've never been. Um, I've never done like PPA or WPPI contests. I've done some smaller ones, um, but I can say from my own personal experience that it can be pretty difficult to feel confident enough in your own work uh, to even go about submitting it. Um, so as somebody who's won a bunch of awards for their work, did you ever you know, face that sort of self-doubt in your work um, in your early stages of going to enter these contests? And how did you maybe overcome that so that if somebody is like, oh, my work's not there yet, it's not good enough, it's never going to be good enough, how do you break through and then actually find that confidence in your work yeah i mean all the time i'm still struggling every day i mean one day i think okay my work is awesome and the next day it was like oh my gosh like what did i do this is like s-h-i-t you know it's like <laughs> right. yeah so we're all struggling it's part of you know normal be us you know being a creative um but i think you know one of the maybe scott i mean i, I i'm sure it was scott like he told me that you know like there's nothing to lose. If you enter these com competition, maybe you just lose money. You know, that's it, yeah. right? You lose some money. And then for, you know, like for all the critique or, you know, like the scores that you receive, nobody's going to see that. You're not going to, like, they're not publishing that, you know? Mm -hmm. So like, as long as you don't show it on the internet, nobody's going to know it. You don't tell people about you get a score of 79. So, but you take that score of 79 and then like, you know, improve. And maybe next time when you shoot, um, you know exactly the same subject. Actually, that's how I did did it too. Because in the I, it's not like the first time I enter competition, I score like well. So the first time I enter competition, there there are multiple prints that I score seventy nine point five. If you know the scoring structure, score of eighty is like an award merit print. So going <laughs> oh, 79.5, you know, how like my how frustrating. But it was just like the slightest adjustment that I should have made, which I didn't. I was too rushed to like take that photograph of a of a model like she has her hand like kind of like like you know show the back of her hand which mm -hmm. looks like enormous but if she just like turn like to the side of her hand that would make the picture a lot more like pleasing and that's why the judge you know while I was watching live judging like you know the judge made the comment that if the photographer took the time to we come we post the posture of her hand, this will be over 85 versus 79.5. Wow. So may this be the greatest reminder reminder for the photographer to make 
like to slow down and make adjustment of the pose before you take the picture because it's a portrait. It's not like a photojournalist, you know, it's not photojournalism or like, you know, it's not a candid moment, it's a post picture. So you should take your time. So that in, like just tattoo in my brain that right. I would always remember. So it's one of those things that, you know, like if there's ways that you can participate to watch the live judging or sit through like live judging and see how like the judges make the comments for like, like prints or pictures to how they come uh, improve. Mm -hmm. That was like, that, that was like tremendously helpful for myself. And so the next round, uh, when I entered it again and shoot obviously a different subject in a different setting, but I still post uh, like the, the model a similar way. And I will always remember not to like, like show the back of her hand. So right. that helps me even not just like a competition setting. It's, you know, for, you know, for the rest of my photography journey too. So I think, uh, yeah. So like, you know, if, you know, when COVID everything dies down and like, you know, like, um, uh, like the convention started to resume, I highly recommend just to sit through some of those like judge, uh, like judging room at WPPI or PPA, or mm -hmm. if there's like online uh, 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 platform that you can watch um, the, what the comments, uh, the judges will give the comments about prints, you know, then it will be super helpful for, you know, figuring out how to enter it for the next round and prepare yourself for it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it sounds like, you know, that criticism that you receive from the judges is almost like been, <clears throat> you know, also become almost invaluable to you because now it's something like you said, it's just been burned into your brain. Right, so right. every time you see it now, you're making those adjustments to make that image a little bit better. And while, I mean, I, I could imagine how frustrating it must be for your first, you know, to get a 79.5 when 80 is, you know, the goal to get to, and you're so close to it and just something that small but, you know, obviously you take that and you learn from it. And um, I, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, a 79.5 is nothing to scoff at. I mean, it's still, it, <laughs> you're competing against hundreds right. of photographers and they're seeing hundreds of images. And I'm sure as a judge, that also has to get like kind of monotonous and uh, a little bit like you're, you feel like you're seeing a lot of the same stuff. And so, I mean, it, there's a lot of factors that go into it, but the feedback right. you get, if you have these, you know, top tier photographers judging your work, you that's worth the investment alone into the contest, I think. I mean, just right. to hear exactly. what their perspective yeah. is. Yeah. And in fact, I think at the end of uh, the judging, um, and then I actually, I, I went and talked to the judge myself. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I asked him, you know, like what I could do, you know, what more I could do, you know, to make this better. And then he actually was like really nice and kind. And I, like, I think he spent like 10 minutes talking about the photo with me privately. Yeah. So that was a David, uh, sir. He goes by Sir David Anthony William, by the way. He was like a long um, uh, judge, a long seasonal judge for WPPI. So I, I was still very grateful for that, um, mm -hmm. that he took the time and, and it just, you know, but I still, you know, like make an effort to talk to him afterward and not to be shy about, not to be just, you know, like, oh, like shut down from 79.5. Knowing I could just start calling myself international award winning photographer if I get the 80. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. 
Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. I mean, the, and that goes, I guess that goes back to what we said about even just kind of seeking out the mentorship from somebody. I mean, that right. that was a form of mentorship in a way for you to learn, you know, as a seasoned judge of WPPI, he's seen, I mean, hundreds of thousands, if not, I don't right. know how long he was a judge for, but tons of, tons of photographs. Um, and so these are, that's a great resource to also learn from. Um, and you, you know, maybe with COVID, you know, a lot of these conferences are online and they may right. continue into this year being online. So you may not have that opportunity in this year, but, um, it's something to think about at least. And uh, maybe even, you know, I've uh, had some positive experiences of reaching out to photographers and just asking them, you know, people who I think are doing an incredible job at what they do or a better job than I am. And just asking them, you know, what, what do you think of this? How, how could I improve on it? Right. Generally speaking is social media is easy enough to get back to somebody if they're available and they've, you know, and they have the time, a lot of people are just open to doing that. Right. Exactly. And it's yeah. not a bad way to reach out and just see. Um, but now, you know, we spent a little bit of time on the the award side of things now, um, which is which has been great because I've not actually had an opportunity to talk to anybody about that. And I think that's really valuable to people who want to improve their work. Um, but let's let's kind of dive into wedding photography a little bit now, because that's really, you know, uh, I, I think where you shine is the uh, destination wedding photographer. So, um I was looking through your work and I find your, and you did touch on this at the beginning that fashion was a big inspiration for you. But I, when I looked at your posing of your couples and, you know, the photographs on your Instagram and your website and on Sony's website, the, the posing has a very high fashion look to it. So my advice, or sorry, my question for you then is, um, as you know, as somebody who may just be getting into photography, let's say they're, they're really struggling with posing couples. And I, I can see why I've, I struggled with it starting out too. And I'm definitely not posing couples the way you do. So I can learn a thing or two here too, as well. But how do you work with your couples to create these very visually impressive images, um, and create poses that feel natural but still very stylized and um high like mm, high fashion i guess uh justin i'm totally flattered that you like my work um, <laughs> <laughs> um i really um i guess i really don't think about it too much but um one of the things that i do with my client uh, uh like kind of like during uh established wedding um, uh, sorry, established meeting is that, okay, look, this is not just uh, you hiring me automatically, you get good picture. I mean, you're going to get pretty good picture, but mm -hmm. if you want to get amazing picture, you have to put into work. So I don't care if, oh, okay, maybe I, I say it nicely, but in my <laughs> mind, I'm, I'm thinking, I don't care if you have to like, I don't know, like lose weight or like get fit or, you know, go mm -hmm. train, uh, go to the gym and, you know, and get in shape for the picture. The, you already you're gonna pay a lot for these pictures. Miles, well, just spend a lot of time to invest right on yourself to look good, and I'm gonna give you like some training. Maybe I'll gather like 
say like maybe like 20 pictures uh, like that serve as like kind of like a mood board, our inspiration mm-hmm. board uh, on Pinterest. And then um, that serves as your inspiration for like poses, for, for the mood or the look and feel. You and your, your fiance, fiance, you guys can, you know, that would be kind of fun sometimes to just like, you know, take your own you know, picture and oh, sure. practice in front of the camera. I'm sorry, in front of the mirror. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, that's going to help you to, to uh, become a better uh, subject uh, slash model in front of the camera. So you can look at, look through my website and look at what the, what all these couples do in the past. And maybe you can like try to like replicate that on, on your spare time. Yeah. So that's what I would suggest them to do. Some really do it. Yeah. Like they would just go on like a rigorous like diet and then lost 20 pounds before wow. the shoot. That's amazing. And then they really practice <clears throat> like, you know, like in, in front of the mirror before the shoot. So so during the shoot, it's a lot more quicker and natural. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of like on the day of the shooting, um, and you kind of get a sense too, like you know, not every couple, like every couple is different. Like some couple, they they can pose beautifully, like you know, right. you, you you know it, like you know, they are very natural. They're confident. As as, mm-hmm. Yeah, they're confident. As soon as like, okay, so the, the next moment we want to have you guys started making out, so they be like added, right? But some <laughs> couple, they're like. Oh, they're like super shy, but yes. like, can you guys get closer? They're like still like super far apart. Right. So you kind of have to like kind of figure out who they are and then just kind of get to like a, a point to like have a really balanced, uh, like a, a balanced picture for them. And I, I, I don't push it too much. If they're shy, then I just like, you know, just keep the posing like, you know, should be relatively like simple you know like mm-hmm. hugging hu- like hugging or uh, or holding hands or just something that is maybe just like a, a bit you know simpler like less posing. intimidating exactly yeah. <laughs> yeah less but if i get the sense of like you know some or uh, some couples are okay she already like she's like already have like 10 pins on like 10 boards on pinterest and mm-hmm. she's like you know on instagram she likes all the f- high fashion clothes you know or posts all these brands and i know she's gonna want to do high fashion posts sure. then she's she will be my ideal subject to like kind of like okay so uh, for this next picture i want you to like cross your right leg to the left and then i like, put mm-hmm. your arm on the stair you know and lay down and put your like you know do yeah, like very dramatic pose. yeah yeah very dramatic pose so you know that it's one of those things like you know if you feel like that those clients are, you know, up for it, then just go for it. Yeah. And, but if some of the clients, they're a little bit shy, then just, you know, just do, I guess just, you know, you kind of tailor and customize um, based on like, you know, their liking and also Mm -hmm. the performance as well. Yeah. So Right. And their comfort zone. Like you, I I, I think that's a big part of, I mean, and and I run into it too. I think a lot of times anymore, um, you know, there's still a fair share of people who get photographs taken. I mean, my family, when I was growing up, we'd always, uh, they'd always do family photos every couple of years and we'd go to a photographer and have our photos done. So there's definitely people like that out there, but I also think with the, you know, how easy it is to just take photos on cell phones anymore that a lot of people have just not had that experience. So then when you have somebody taking your photo with a camera, maybe they have lighting equipment or maybe they don't, but they have an assistant there and it just gets to be a lot for couples or or even individuals um and so you have to work and get gain their confidence in their exactly make them feel comfortable there and you definitely like you said i mean you know if you can tell that your 
client or the couple that you're going to be working with may not be super comfortable with, you know, doing like, I, I don't know, but like dramatic poses or, right. uh, or they don't have that body confidence where they want to like show off and kind of like strike these poses, then you may have to go about doing something a little bit simpler for them that will still be as effective. Um, and actually that's something I tell uh, my second shooters who are still kind of learning wedding photography and couples photography. It, and actually just this, I think this rule works for general portrait photography as well too. And if you're just working with everyday people who are hiring you to take their photos, you, a lot of times these are probably going to be the best photos they've ever seen of themselves, regardless of, you know, if the pose is pristine or if it's pretty good because they're used to getting cell phone photos shot of their friends. And then here you are the professional with an eye and understanding of your equipment and you can really make them look great better than you could with just snapping a cell phone photo. So they're going to be impressed already. And then you just kind of work your way into those poses, I guess, and, and getting more, you know, these elaborate dramatic poses, but they read so well. I mean, some of your photos and, and obviously your the locations you go to are beautiful as well. And the combination of your work with the couple who's all your couples seem very confident and composed in their images. And it just all comes together very nicely. So yeah, I mean, I, I think you are creating amazing imagery and I do see a little bit of Scott in it as well. Cause I can, <laughs> I can see that you've learned from him in some of those images. Cause, and, but again, you're traveling, he's traveling too. So you guys are going to these amazing locations. And, um, so maybe there's a little bit of a tie in there as well. Yeah. And although I would have actually, now that I remember, um, so, so sorry, I should have mentioned okay. this in, in the beginning of your question, uh, answering your question. Like mm-hmm. I used to keep, uh, this massive, like, like sketchbook of like poses that I like from oh. magazines. And I would like, just cut them out. Like, Vogue is like I think ten dollars for twelve issue nowadays is like yeah. super cheap. So you should you should still get them and because you get like the best of the best ads, like fashion ads, like from Gucci or Dior, like for the post or lighting or per se whatever mm-hmm. that you really like, just like cut them out and like cut them in like just like 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 the shape out from that you know from the model and then paste it on the notebook. In that way, that serve as. Back then, that served as my visual reference for posing. Yeah. And once I cut so many of them out, and then I and then I will go back and then look at them and use a sharpie and just like line them. You know, like okay, so this is like a shape of a V. This is a shape of a circle. This is a shape of a, you know or a heart shape or whatnot. Wow. So once I do do that quite a bit, and then that become like kind of like like in tattoo in my head sorry mm-hmm. I, I lack of a better word so i keep using yeah, this no. word, sorry so and then like it's just become your second nature it become you know your language when when you know how when you're opposing the couple because you have you know if you if you do have time just like take your time to pose it until they look awesome then take their picture um, and then also like um, I started out shooting picture with like uh, shooting uh, the couple with like a lot of natural light, mm-hmm. mostly natural light, but by the way, and then throughout the day, then when it's necessary, then I take out my flash and LED and then it's just like kind of like pacing myself up 
and then like you know um just start starting like starting out easy and simple and、mm-hmm. and slow and build up the confidence and then like once they see really great picture of themselves and I show them in the back of the screen then they're like oh my gosh yeah yeah、uh, okay that felt weird but I do look good on the screen you know、right. that's what the you know sometimes I get feedback from the client saying that and then you know as the day progresses and once they have the confidence then you know you just get more of a you know dramatic light. And because they have more, they they will be more patient with you as well.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I would just suggest to start slow and then you know um um build、uh, build up the confidence that way. Yeah. Yeah. You maybe bust out like you know more like like bigger gears.、Mm-hmm. So once they become more comfortable with you. Yeah. yeah. That's actually a great tip. That that's something I hadn't considered either, and just kind of easing them into the. The actual photo yeah, shoot, yeah, easing, yeah.、Mm-hmm. Um, okay, that's actually so that's great info. I mean, and that's even stuff that I, I mean, I, I love the idea of having that book and then figuring out what the shapes are within the image、yeah. that are, is why is it or what shapes are making this so visually appealing and breaking it down to something so simple because you look at a pose and then a lot of times I think you can get distracted by little elements in it and while they、right. are important, I think when you're getting into starting. Posing, you have to focus on, you know, the, the elements in it that are going to make it the look the best in the easiest way. So,、mm-hmm. seeing like you said, where is the triangle forming? Where, what are the angles that are forming within the body? Is there an S curve? And outlining these things so you can visually see what it should look like. Try to communicate that to your couple, or、um, you know, even if it's an individual. Um, and, and then from there, you can start working on the little details of you know the finger placements and、uh, right. where the eyes may be looking or wh- you know whatever it is. But you can kind of hone in on that as you start to understand the posing and how to coach somebody into that pose a little bit better. Right. Yeah. It it also has to do with the intent too. Like you know,、um, I this is actually one of my my favorite book. Sorry, it's in Chinese language,、um, but it's by. Christopher Doyle,、uh, he's one of the most、uh, famous cinematographer in Asia, and he collab- collaborate quite a bit with、uh, Wong Kar Wai. And he's、uh, Wong Kar Wai is like a one of the best director in Asia, and、oh. uh, like for like many many like best like foreign film award winning film like In the Mood of Love,、um, Days of Being Wild. Oh, so many! I, I just couldn't say it. It's just so many. But he mentioned about intent, like every. Single image that he sh- he said he shot, he has an intention of where what what he wants to convey. Like, okay, what are we want trying to convey? Are we trying to convey like a strong, a powerful image? You know, through like through her poses, or are we trying to convey like you know shyness or like you know serenity? So once you have that concept that you want to convey, everything else will be you know the element that contribute. Like feeds into this message or that this intention that you're trying to convey. So I think having an intention, what when you are,、uh, you know, f- making a photograph, that helps 
a lot to get the visual language, you know, uh, translate and across. Yeah. Um, and have it translate into the camera. I, I think definitely. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great tip. Um, I'll, we'll make sure to include that book link in the show notes. And I'm not sure maybe there's a translation version out there for the yeah. English speakers. But um, yeah, I will find that book uh, with uh, with the translation, I think. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'll make sure that we add that in the show notes. And if I can find the translation version, I'll put that in there as well. Um, Oh, so I actually, also, it, I, sorry. It's I think it's bilingual. Oh, <laughs> so, so yeah, so it's perfect. actually both Chinese and English. Yeah, so awesome. yeah, so so then okay, perfect. We'll just add that in there. Um, so I also wanted to ask one more question here, kind of about your business and uh, wedding photography specifically, and then we'll get into some kind of easier. I don't want to say easier, but some more lighthearted, less uh, intensive questions here. Um, but you really do tell some incredible stories with your images. Um, and, and I was watching a video um, where I believe you mentioned that you kind of capitalize on a trend of photographing couples in beautiful locations outside of their wedding day, um, which was something to me that like, I guess I didn't even realize that was a trend or, you know, at least in my experience of wedding photography, um, the people that I've worked with at weddings is all pretty much just on the wedding day alone. So what, I mean, can you tell me a little bit more about what that process is like? Are you, is this a separate session that occurs before or after their wedding date or how does that kind of work? Yeah, so it's actually, for me, from my understanding, it's not a trend. It's been around for ages. I mean, even my, when my parents were, were around, it, like in Asia, it's like mm -hmm. because for them, seeing each other in the wedding attire is not a taboo in our culture. Oh, interesting. So, okay. so they will have studios that they will go into take the picture, like say like a week before their wedding day or two weeks before their wedding day. But everything was done back in the day, it's like in the early say like 70s and 80s was in studio but when like asia like you know many countries in asia become more like a you know a stronger voice in the world like korea um hong kong or uh, china like uh, japan many of these like countries have sending people out for traveling then a lot of these pictures are done like around the world like versus in like, like a formal studio per se so uh, so like what they would do like these these people like the, these couple they would just like uh, invest heavily to like buy like a nice beautiful massive wedding gown and then like a tuxedo and it's like they bring this whole wedding attire packed in the suitcase and then bring the bring it with them for travel like like a pre-honeymoon so that's why they call those photo like pre-wedding so if you can do like keyword search on Instagram Instagram or Google. It's been around for a while for the, these kind of pre-wedding uh, session because it's not a taboo. Like, cause I know the in the in the states in U.S. Cause seeing each other in the wedding attire before the wedding, you know, in the old days, it's like mm -hmm. a, like a taboo, right? Right. But um, so in that way, they can just have like you know like beautiful photograph of them like in this crazy location, yeah. And then on the wedding day, they already make like huge prints of themselves, you know, this to be awesome. displayed at the wedding banquet. So like when the guests come in, they can sign it uh, on this like huge I don't know like sixteen by twenty or mm -hmm. poster sized prints of the couple standing in front of the Eiffel Tower. You know, it's one of those things that kind of cool. Like they want to show like the world that like you know they're no longer stuck in their own world and they're a traveler too they're a citizen of the world as well so it's one of those things that i think um me being uh, 
um, Asian and like being, mm-hmm. you know, um, in my, you know, coming from a past, like, you know, that our culture, it's like known to be like, kind of like, okay, you want to suppress your feelings, suppress, you know, don't tell people that, you know, you're traveling, like, you know, you just keep things to yourself and not telling like people, like not telling people out there how great you are. That, that kind of culture mentality for our culture, you know, for us being, um, mm-hmm. you know, in that past, living in that past, but uh, things has been changed and and then once become more like well-rounded and educated in like, you know, in the West or educated in the East, like, you know, we travel becoming global global citizen and we want to showcase that we're part of the world too. So that's why, you know, me as a photographer and being a woman of yellow color, you know, woman mm-hmm. of um, yellow, <laughs> um, me being Asian, uh, Chinese mm-hmm. American per se. Um, and um, it's part of... Uh, my calling to to make this pre-wedding session to offer in the U.S. Uh, for to for American photographers, maybe they can ad- ad- adapt this new business practice too. Right. And so we're not just stuck shooting on the weekend. So we're mm-hmm. not just sh- stuck shooting locally. So we can have this maybe to add it, you know, as part of your business. Um, um, to you know to have more work on weekday as well because like these pre-wedding sessions you can shoot you know any day of the week it's not just you know confined Mm -hmm. to be a to be a weekend and you can shoot off season as well you know like just as long as you're able to travel um so that's just my kind of like my calling and Mm -hmm. wanting to make this thing you know known to the west um to uh, photographers here in the u.s as well yeah. Absolutely. I love the idea of that. I, I had not heard of it. Um, and, and I guess I didn't realize that it was more of an Eastern thing, but it makes sense if you, if, you know, in the West, you know, it's like a, you don't see the bride in her dress before the wedding day. And, but I love the idea of just having, you know, I mean, how it's as a photographer, I would love to have two hours with just the couple on their wedding day to go to locations and take photos with them. But that's never the reality, right? You'd never have almost it feels like you never have enough time to do what you actually want to do. You're getting, you know, you get the photos that you need to get, but if you really had an extra 45 minutes, an hour, two hours, you could be creating amazing images, but it just doesn't allow for that on a wedding day. So I love the idea of being able to do something before the wedding day and then they can show it at the wedding, you know, like, I mean, to have a photo of, you know, a bride in her wedding dress, at the wedding that's amazing but they were in paris or they were in milan or wherever that's so cool and i wish i wish more people would adopt that mentality here because i think from a photographer's perspective i i'd almost rather do that than photograph the wedding itself that's where you're going to get these beautiful images that everyone's going to just love um, and I'm sure you're capable of getting it on the wedding day as well. But that is a whole nother level of just having a one. It builds a different connection with the couple, too, I'm sure, because you're spending a, that much more intimate time with them. But you're creating these beautiful images that they're going to be proud of. Their family's going to love to see them. Their friends are going to think they're incredible. And it would just a whole different experience. So that's very, very cool. Um piece that I just I didn't even know that was a thing so that's very cool to learn about yeah um actually sometimes I do get like you know 
kind of like nasty comments from like photographers in the east in they're saying okay why do you want to talk about our secrets you know our <laughs> secrets to you know to the west you know i'm like it's like bruce lee you know he shared kung fu with the rest of the world right because like the pie is so big you know like right uh, you know it's like you cannot possibly to have all that to yourself so might as well just share with the world and then and then we all you know become like elevated and Mm -hmm. everybody gets more job and especially like now during COVID nobody can travel right I mean like we're like you know basically in our own kind of like you know like everything become localized you know Mm -hmm. and then wedding become a lot more scaled down how like so when we're shooting micro these like small events how on top of shooting the actual ceremony, ceremony part, how do we help the couple to make their pictures amazing, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe you're shooting micro wedding as an add-on to your package, you know? So, because that's what I'm doing right now. And like, you know, for these kind of like highly stylized pre-wedding shoot that I do them locally, that mm-hmm. is my main meat of the package. That comes from like 80% of the revenue. Mm-hmm. And then the other 20% is like the micro wedding or whatnot. And even if someone books me for a micro wedding, I couldn't stress enough that, you know, they have to like make sure to give me like big chunk of time that I can do these elaborate mm-hmm. shoot as part of the micro wedding day. And then give me maybe just like the rest, maybe you do an hour with your micro wedding. Yeah. Right. And yeah. So, cause in that way, like the quality of the picture is guaranteed to be amazing. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, for all of the, photographers in china who you receive negative <laughs> feedback from i would just say it's a it's a much bigger task to convince brides in the united states that it's okay to yes. be seen in your wedding dress before right. the wedding so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> i don't is. think they have too much to worry about with stealing the secrets over here but i would love to see that uh, come out a little bit more because i think that would give photographers a lot more flexibility um when it comes to the actual wedding photographs so um right sabrina i i do want to say thank you again so much for sharing this information because it has been so enlightening and as a wedding photographer myself i've been you know i've been very excited to sit down and talk with you about um you know just your business and how you've kind of developed it and grew into the photographer that you are so again i really do appreciate you sitting down and talking with me today um but like i mentioned before that last question we do have some fun questions that i want (laughs) to get into with you that we like to ask all of our guests nothing super crazy here but um are you ready to get started into that Yes. Okay, sweet. So um, your wedding photos that I've seen, are they feel so exotic to me. Or I guess they're probably the pre-wedding photos, but mm-hmm. they feel so exotic to me. Um, and as a top 50 destination wedding photographer, I'm sure that you've been to some very incredible locations. Um, so if you could travel back to any one location, and maybe you will be going back to this location at some point, but if you could travel back to one to photograph uh, pre-wedding portraits there, where's one place that you would like to go back to? Okay, I definitely want to go back to Morocco because um, um, I can go to the desert and gaze at the stars after the work is done. Wow. <laughs> it's really more for myself. I mean, like, you know, the beautiful pictures um, on top of, beautiful pictures which i'm gonna do for my clients and um because last time i went i feel like the whole thing it was really rushed and uh i i did what i could the best to uh you know to mm-hmm. shoot in a very limited of time it was crazy like crazy banana like seven day 
for five city kind of schedule. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, and, um, but I really, really want to go back and um, just take my time and shoot some more. And plus I can visit all my friends in Spain. So yeah. So Morocco. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. I, I, that's not where I would have guessed, but I could see why it's got to be very beautiful and uh, ornate there. So much interesting architecture and stuff in Morocco. Yes. Yeah. Um, cool. All right. Well, let's say, um, you're heading to a photo or, you know, you're heading to a photo shoot, pre-wedding photo shoot, and the location itself is going to be kind of tight or difficult in terms of like navigating with equipment. So you're going to be limited in terms of what you can actually bring to that photo shoot. So, uh, you get one camera, one lens and one accessory to bring with you. What would you bring? Okay, I'll bring the A7, the Sony A7R4 camera, okay. um, and one one lens, right? You said yeah, okay. one lens so and one accessory. I'll bring the fifty-five or fifty, you know, uh, whichever one that I've, I have available at mm-hmm. the time, um, one four or one point eight, whatever is like biggest aperture I can uh, sure. uh, get. Uh, an accessory, and I would just bring one flash yes one mm-hmm. flash one off-camera flash yes yeah i think I, I would agree with that i've not actually used the r4 i, I shoot with the r3 and the um and a7 three um and but yeah I, I i get the the so i take it you're a prime shooter then Spe- yeah most of the those? time mm-hmm. uh, uh but i should zoom too but okay. i think with prime and i can just you know like really slow down and just like focus on the composition and like right with that same fixed like you know point of view yeah yeah okay i get that for sure um so i guess to well not quite building off of it but i think it kind of may you may help in this question to that last answer. So let's, um, a lot of our listeners obviously are transitioning from either a hobbyist or, um, you know, a part-time shooter into becoming a professional full-time professional photographer. So if someone were interested in getting into wedding photography, um, how would you recommend they start getting their feet wet in the industry? And are there any must have pieces of equipment that you would say, Getting into wedding photography, you should have this in your kit. Um, getting your feet wet, first of all. I think uh, just start assisting other photographers, you know, helping them to be an assistant. Um, sometimes you don't even need to be a second shooter, just like even being an assistant. You, mm-hmm. you learn so much, you know, and plus that gives a lot less pressure on you to like perform. And then once you feel comfortable, then you ask, start like being their second shooter and shoot for what seriously, I actually still love to be a second shooter for other friends, for my photographer for friends mm-hmm. and because it's like I can do whatever the heck that I want and then right. <laughs> take my sweet time for a, like the ring or like the kick and which is like we never have as a main shooter right. and um, just yeah start by uh, assisting and shadowing getting your feet wet because in that way you get the real world experience you're not just learning from you know by the books or watching YouTube mm-hmm. and um, that's uh, um, also maybe like start you know like t- just taking your, your friends and family's portrait and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And print them out too. And once you have print them out, you see all these flaws in your photograph, and you see, oh my gosh, I should have posed them better, and maybe move to a different like you know wall, um, that kind of thing. And once things are printed, you just see a lot more about you know what the picture should 
should be could be improved. Um, and in terms of uh, sorry, the next part of the question was uh, gears, right? Yeah. So right, like, right, if right, there's yeah, anything right, that right, yeah. you'd recommend having in your oh yeah, gear. yeah. So like you you know nowadays gears cost a lot less than our old time. So you can just you know even like use services like, you know, lens rental or borrowlenses.com mm-hmm. um, just to start renting lenses that or, or, you know, gears that you feel comfortable with and then practice using those gears. And of course you do want like, you know, one of the best image quality. If you are, it's, if it's paid and commission shoot, you should go for the best quality uh, market it's out in the, that you can uh, rent for these gears and then practice them on your, you know, like say if you're shooting on Saturday, maybe you should sh- spend Monday through Friday practice shooting those gears. And then, so then on Saturday, you know exactly how to use them. It'll become your second nature. It'll become your, like, you know, like body language, like mm-hmm. muscle memory. Memory. Um, so yeah, so I um, for a wedding shooter, uh, you should look for gears that has like a it's like a, like great like many many like great focus points mm-hmm. like the the Sony A7 uh the a7 uh uh um three or like the sony a9 uh, a9 it's a sports uh line camera so that's a great for capturing ceremony uh, things that ha- happen like in a really fast pace right um if you're doing things that maybe more of a commercial end that needs to be blow up huge and print it big or maybe like you know you need to eventually like you know crop out just the earring as part of the lookbook then maybe you should look for the um i don't know things that has like higher resolution um uh, pixel camera like the a7r series would be wonderful um and then lens wise it's just like your own preference you know mm-hmm. it's like if you're covering like sam or uh, wedding you know from afar then maybe you get a long lens if you know the ceremony is like really small it's like a 10 people ceremony you can like zoom in and out maybe you'll be fine with just like prime lenses too so it's hard to say just like one piece of gear, right you know yeah yeah i think i think you're preference. right and the rental route is actually a great way to go. And especially if you're, you know, if you're getting paid to photograph that wedding, it's not super expensive to rent a lens for a weekend. No, it's um, not. Yeah. And, totally. Yeah. And you never know. I mean, it could become your next purchase or you may be able to create some unique images with it because you don't typically have access to something like that. So it's not a bad idea to rent something every now and again, just to try it out and see how it feels. Yeah, and plus I hate like fumbling with gears on a wedding day. So right. if I know have like a super tight, intense schedule wedding, like maybe like in the ceremony, they it's like uh, like they have to do like numerous different things on the uh, timeline they have to do. Then I'll just like you know rent mo- like two cam- like have two camera and then one long lens and then one like zoom lens. You mm-hmm. know, uh, sorry, both lo- zoom lenses and then one long and then one wide. So you know you cover the various different ranges. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so you're, that way you're covered. That's typically how I go about it too, and it's right. just easier to switch between two cameras exactly. as opposed to flipping lenses. And it gets, it gets complicated. You can get dust on your sensor. There's just too many more ways it can go wrong as opposed to if you have two bodies, it's just much more convenient. Now, of course, that can be costly too. But if you're renting, it's a great way to uh, right. minimize that cost. Yeah. Cool. So this next one is the lightning round. I'm just going to throw out a few questions to you. Super easy. Nothing too crazy here. So just whatever your go-to is, uh, let's hear it. So um, Mac or PC? Mac. 
Mac. Yep. Same here. Uh, so we were just talking about lenses here, but if you had to pick one, zooms or primes? Prime. <laughs> primes. Um, natural light, off-camera flash, or constant lights? Uh, hmm, they're all different. Uh, mm -hmm. But my preference will still be natural light, off-camera flash, and artificial light. <laughs> one, two, three. <laughs> In that order? Yeah. But I gotta have all three. Actually, a lot of pictures have like all three things that I actually mm -hmm. use in it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I totally understand. Yeah, and I think also, you know, depending on where your location is right. too, you may, you know, I, I think I saw an image where there was a couple standing on the edge of a boat and where are you going to put, you know, an off-camera flash <laughs> yeah. or an, an yes. LED panel when they're in the right. water? Right, yeah. Um, Lightroom or Photoshop for editing? Mm, both. Can I say both? Yeah, I guess so. I, <laughs> I think I think you need you need something to have like both. Lightroom yeah, to get seriously. into Photoshop. So right. I, I see where you're coming at with both. Um, and then coffee, tea, or neither? Tea, Earl Grey, and Marco Polo. Ah, <laughs> okay, <laughs> cool. I'm a coffee guy myself. Um, Cool. And then our last fun question here for you. Um, we like to ask every guest this because obviously this we're big on education um, and helping people get to that next level of photography. So do you have any recommended reading materials? I know you did throw out that book earlier, but uh, anything else that you would recommend that people who are wanting to get into photography as a career or wedding photography specifically check out? Um, to get into photography as a career, maybe uh, I, I I think like your inspiration is like a stream of water. You have like all these different things that feed into that stream that and then fills down. So I would recommend like doing things like watching like movie. Like all the classics are wonderful. Like all the Hutchin, uh, uh, Audrey Hepburn movies that they're wonderful, and also like documentaries of um, uh, photographers too, and then how they become like who they are and how they develop their styles and then um, uh, also like uh, books that I highly recommend reading um, I don't have one book per se but then like the 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 uh, the director or the cinematographer that I really love is um, Christopher Doyle. Mm -hmm. And I will show share the link with you guys okay. later. Uh, and then also like Wong Kar Wai. And he's like a director, a filmmaker of these like amazing, like highly stylized, like beautifully colored film. And, and, and he's like super well known too. And that's like, because that helps me to like, kind of like, you know, find my voice and uh, develop my own style as an Asian American, as a, um, you know, someone who like born and raised in China, but living in the state, how I, de how I develop my own kind of East cross West style. I'm right. obviously I'm not shooting like a very, like a say like American style mm -hmm. or I'm not shooting just the Asian style, but you know, who I am, I'm like half and half. So, and how, you know, just by having these reference that helps me develop, um, uh, my sort of, I, I guess, style. Yeah. And then, uh, and I think you just have to start reading a lot of things and just sometimes random things that, you know, for the things that you like, and then just read more. And that helps you to develop your signature style. Um, yeah. Is that, um, no, that's, am I answering your question? You know? Yeah, yeah, no, you are. Absolutely. I mean, that's actually, uh, I'm actually really excited to check out those books because I've not heard of, uh, you know, the authors of them before, but it sounds, you know, I, I think that 
you know, the cross-cultural element there where you're seeing, you know, you're combining your Eastern heritage and you're now Western living and trying to find and mold those together. And then, you know, taking that from these readings as well. And I, I find that very interesting and a very unique way to kind of come together and build that style. Um, and, and I think that reads true with your work too, because you see it in it that you're kind of merging these, you know, some Western elements into these Eastern traditional elements that you're combining. And I think it, it makes some really very great visual work. So I'd love to check out, um, both of those books and find out a little bit more about, um, the, I believe you said that, we, uh, they were both directors or was one a, oh, uh, so, uh, Christopher Doyle, he's a cinema photographer. Okay. Okay. And then like Wong Kar Wai, he's a director. Okay, yeah, but it. they both work together all the time to make oh, awesome. like crazy like award-winning films. But, but like you know, I, I, you know, we're in the social media like day and age is like unavoidable, right? And then mm -hmm. sometimes we, I get to like I get so like oh my gosh, like why is this picture only like. 14 likes you know where <laughs> right yeah it's like i feel like it's like i put put a lot of blood and soul in into it and but you know but now that i thought about it these great one of the greatest artists in the world they don't even have a social media account right, right. You know, why because they spend probably you know their spare time not to worry about how many likes they get it just like focus on the work itself so that's something that i kind of have to re constantly remind myself these amazing, amazing artists out there, they just focus on the work itself. Eventually, you know, you know, through like words of mouth and people that know you, the work will come too. And then like, right. you know, and you just have to put yourself out there in like a different way. But social media, it's one of the way, but it's not the only way. Right. And yeah. trust in the process. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Trusting the process and still grinding at it. Yeah. Yeah. So. And and maybe I've I've had to work on that too because for a long time I wanted to build my following on social media. And I finally had to just say, you know what? Followers don't pay the bills. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> I actually gave up. I, I kind of gave up on building my social media following. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, but but I my all my other time I spent on like nurturing relationship with like, yep. magazine editors, uh nurturing relationship with like uh people that I know it's gonna like you know help me somewhat put foot on the table. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to pause real quick. This right. is off the record. I'm going to cut here, but I, yeah, yeah, my, yeah. my Mac just gave me a, I thought it was plugged in, but I think it might've slipped out of the no worries. <laughs> charger. Yeah, no so worries. Gonna, no and worries. then I got yeah. two more questions for you and we'll be done. Yeah, no worries. I was sitting here like, oh, I hope we can, uh, I hope we'll be able to finish this up before. And then I just got the, the, the down to 5%. And I was like, well, better, we'll just cut it there. Um, so we'll still get back into it here. Give me, yeah, no worries. Let me fix this. Okay. Well, Sabrina, before we wrap up here, um, our la in our last segment, we take a few questions from our listeners who submit questions to ask the professionals that I interview on here um, so that we can help them reach the next level in their photography. Uh, so before we do that, I did want to open it up to you and let you tell our listeners if they want to find out more about you or follow you on social media, where can they find you at? 
Yeah, so they can follow my uh, Instagram. Um, it's Sabrina, Z-A-B-R-I-N-A-X-Y-Z. Yeah, Perfect. so that's my Instagram. Um, so I need followers. <laughs> <laughs> As we mentioned, it's like I gave yes, up on it, but I also up, but follow I do me. need it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, that's I'll constant. I, I'll constant life struggle <laughs> as an right. artist yes. in this day and age, right? Yes. Searching yes. for that validation. <laughs> <laughs> searching is about searching for the balance too. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, so. Um, if you're listening to this and you have a question that you do want to ask a professional on an upcoming episode, uh, feel free to email them over to social at thepixelconnection.com for a chance to have them answered on the podcast. But today we have uh, a first question here is from a listener named Rob. Um, and he said, I'm finding it hard to stand out in the crowd when there are tons of other people constantly marketing to brides and grooms online. What can I do to separate my wedding work from other photographers? Okay. That's a great question. Um, I think maybe I touched that a little bit um, in, in one of the answers, uh, in one of the questions before, mm-hmm. um, but like, I think you, as a photographer to develop your own work per se, then you kind of have to like start to look, look into who you are as a person, like what's your like cultural background, what's your neighborhood is like, and then maybe start developing in your own community. So start doing that offline because for, for myself, um, marketing to clients online is it's one of the, I guess it was one of the necessary tools in this day and age, but it's my income uh, from, I say like the, the clients that who found me, uh, it's 50% from word of mouth referrals mm-hmm. or the people I photographed before. Um, and then the 50% maybe come from, uh, uh, online and sometimes from newspaper and uh, magazines too. So it's just one of those things you kind of have to just strategize, strategize your time and then try something different if that this one thing doesn't work. Yeah. So uh, Rob, if you're saying you know your uh, marketing to bride and groom online doesn't work, then maybe just you know start meeting people in your local community. Um, uh, I, now that I guess everything is online because of COVID and mm-hmm. there's like, you know, events being canceled, but, you know, attend wedding shows and start soliciting couples on your own, just handing out like your, your business cards. And I used to um, uh, print my work like on postcard size mm-hmm. um, picture instead of like business card. So when I hand out my card, people will have to see my pictures undeniable. <laughs> like they have to see it. On, and then, but once they see it, then, then they, they start to, oh, they become more curious about who I am as a photographer. Sure. Yeah. And then they start look at my work and then understand who I am. Then eventually they will contact me for a, a photo shoot. So I would suggest that, you know, just do something different than everybody else is doing, you know, print your work big and then hand them out um, Mm. in a local uh, wedding events or, you know, um, just make sure everyone in your circle or in your extended circle know that you are a wedding photographer, you are a photographer. and so then, like, they will think of you when there's event or wedding mm-hmm. or portrait shoot come up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's a great tip. And, you know, something that I did, Rob, is 
I I focused on building in experience around the wedding photography as opposed to it just being about wedding photography. So it's not only just me showing up to their wedding and taking photos. I help them through the process because a lot of, well, for, I would say the majority of couples, this is the first time they're planning a wedding. And as you know, a professional, you've been through the wedding process. Well, you know, I, I, I should say, as becoming a professional, you'll be going through this process a lot more. So you can help guide them through this and make it a little bit easier on them um, and maybe take off some of the pressure that they're feeling. And, you know, if especially during COVID, because a lot of my brides that I'm working with right now are stressing out about regulations and mandates and the ever changing stuff that's happening right now when it comes to putting on their wedding. So just being that person that's there for them and giving them an additional experience is also one way you can kind of separate yourself from the person who's just going out and sh showing up at the wedding and taking photos at it and then giving them their files. Build it out and make it the focus around them. And I think that will help separate you from just your run-of-the-mill photographer out there. Um, so my the we have got one more question for you, Sabrina, and then I'll let you go here. But this one comes from Katie, um, and she says that I have spent years learning about photography, but I'm really struggling with the business side. What other resources are there for me to learn about how to run a successful photography business? Um, well, Katie, this is a great place to start, I think, yes. <laughs> listening to the professionals talk about their businesses and how they got there. Um, so you're in the right place to start learning more about the business side of things. Uh, Zabrina, do you have any you know, resources or I guess, well, maybe, maybe I'll just put the thought out there and maybe this is where you'll go with it because I think this is where I would go is seek out a mentor. Right. I think that's a huge part of mm -hmm. learning about the business side of things and understanding. You know, I think pricing is a very difficult thing to you know start figuring out when you're just starting out um, and, and being able to offset the expenses that come with running a business. So I think finding a mentor is a great way too, but uh, do you have anything else that you'd add to that? Um, I think also like you, um, no one person is good at everything. So I, I, I now like I, I think we should have like different mentors for different things too. Mm -hmm. You know, so like it's it's not a bad idea to have a business mentor and then like a creative mentor. Yeah, so then you can like have both side of things to cover. And um, as for myself, because uh, knowing that like you know I didn't give up my decent paying job for nothing, so I have to constantly hustle for business mm -hmm. and um for any leads that i know like you know if i hear the slightest sound of you know my friend's friend's daughter maybe getting married then i will start reaching them reaching out to them and then um and uh, as for my own experience if i'm able to like get to meet them that gives me like 80 or 90 percent chance of booking the wedding booking the, the shoot yeah so you kind of just have to fight your way through to find find chances to meet with any potential client there's still people getting married e even in the days of covid mm -hmm. right so you just have to like make sure to just get yourself out there and schedule meetings even on zoom and on zoom is actually quite good too and then because you can show your work through like screen sharing and then once oh, they true. you know see your see yourself on you know on during conversation and also see the work on screen sharing then they're more comfortable with you and they know what they're getting at and then you can cover all the questions that they have answered 
So I would just, you know, highly suggest you know, any leads that you're going to get, just like start meeting with them on Zoom or in person. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I do, I, that's something I do too, is I, I meet with any lead that comes through my website or messages right. me on social media. I set up a consultation with them pretty much immediately as soon as I can, because I, one, you'd, I don't want to give them the opportunity to talk to somebody else before they talk to me, but also because you can start establishing that face-to-face -face relationship. And Zoom has been life-saving for that during COVID because there's a point where people would just weren't, you know, and at least in Ohio now, things are a little bit, people are a little bit more comfortable with going out and wearing masks and meeting with people. Mm -hmm. um, but there was a point back, you know, if you go back a year ago from right now and even for the next few months from that point, people were not leaving the house. and But right. I was still able to continue meeting with clients and booking weddings because I was using Zoom um, right. to do those consultations. So that's a great tip as well. Well, Sabrina, again, thank you so much for joining us today. That is all the questions that I have for you, but I do greatly appreciate your time today. Um, and then one more time, why don't you just go ahead and throw out what your Instagram was so that people can find you. Oh, thank you, Justin. So my Instagram is Zabrina, Z-A-B-R-I-N-A-X-Y-Z on X Instagram. X-Y-Z. Perfect. Zabrina, X-Y-Z. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Thank you, Justin. It's You're been so a great welcome. pleasure. Thank yeah. you so much for taking time out to, uh, you know, sit down and talk with me today. And uh, I can't wait to release this episode. I'm so excited to put it out. So thank you again, Zabrina. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Same to you, Justin. Good luck to you. And now for a little industry news, guys. Canon's EOS R cameras have been a huge hit with the current Canon shooters and brand converts. Canon's basic EF to RF lens converter starts retailing at $99. However, ProMaster has announced the release of a Canon EF to RF adapter as well. And get this, guys, their adapter comes in at $59.95. And my friends over at the Pixel Connection, the sponsor of this podcast, took some time to test out this new ProMaster uh, lens converter. And let me tell you guys, it sounds like this thing is the real deal. Here's what they had to say about it. The build quality of the ProMaster EF to RF adapter is top notch. The adapter is constructed with an all metal housing and includes a built-in tripod foot that lets you quickly mount it onto a tripod. Better yet, the adapter retains all of the features that make Canon mirrorless, or that makes the Canon mirrorless lineup great, including the face and eye detection for both people and animals and it's compatible with the cameras that feature in-body stabilization. Many times people are weary of buying third-party adapters, but after testing out the ProMaster EF to RF adapter with a popular birding lens that many Canon shooters have, the team over at the Pixel Connection gives this adapter two thumbs up. So for more information on this release, guys, and details on upcoming releases, Head over to thepixelconnection.com and check out their blog and check out their shop while you're at it. They got lots of great deals on all the best equipment. And thank you guys again for tuning into another episode of the Talking Pixels podcast. As always, I'm Justin, and I'll catch you in the next episode.